You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Hello everyone, I think we're going to start and I want to begin by welcoming you all to this very special lunchtime conversation. I'm Eve Patton, I'm director of this building which is the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Uh, and uh, I'll just begin by saying that uh, over the past few months we've been contributing to the initiative that's being run as part of the Ireland uh, uh, at 50 in the EU campaign, Ireland's membership over the past 50 years of the European Union. Uh, and we've been marking this relationship in a series of events. Um, but of course that question of uh, an Irish Europe has taken on in the last several months a greater responsibility given the situation in Ukraine and uh, the terrible Russian aggression that we're watching every day on the news. So it's been particularly important for us to think not only about uh, the European Union, but also about our European responsibilities in a wider context. And part of that responsibility is maintaining our connections and indeed increasing our connections with our colleagues in the university sector in Ukraine. And that's very much how today's conversation has come about. Um, and I'm very pleased to welcome, as a very special guest to the Trinity Long Room Hub, Dr. Svetlana Kailuk, who joins us from Ukraine Catholic University in Lviv. Uh, she is the director there of the law school. And as you can imagine, even to keep a university department functioning in uh, the current crisis is something of an extraordinary achievement. She is an expert in both criminal and constitutional law and has been involved in several major US and European incentives uh, around areas of constitutional law and policy over the past few years. Um, but she is at the moment in what I'll call a wider conversation with our own colleague, Dr. David Kenny, who joins us uh, from Trinity's Law School. And those of you who know David's work would have seen uh, that his own area of expertise, frequently called upon um, by uh, ourselves in the hub, is constitutional law, constitutional reform. And again, he's worked on several important incentives in this area recently, not least in relation to the question of our own constitution in Ireland and its future under the various shared island possibilities that are in constant consideration. But he has over the past uh, few months been working as best he can with the Ukrainian Catholic University and with Svetlana. Uh, and they have, I think, begun a very important conversation about constitutional futures and Ukraine itself in the context of the current crisis, the current war. So I'm absolutely delighted that Svetlana has had time to talk to us today about her work and that David uh, has been able to set up this opportunity for us. Um, and uh, I will now hand over to David, who's going to be in conversation with Svetlana uh, for this lunchtime. But we will have time to open the conversation to questions and discussion before we close at the top of the hour. So Svetlana, David, very good to have you with us, and I'll hand over. Thank you so much, Eve, for that very kind introduction. Thank you again, Svetlana, for, for joining us here. Uh, really great to have people here to, to continue uh, some conversations we've been having about um, Ukraine's constitutional future, which I do think is just 
such an important question and uh, uh, so interesting and multifarious and complex and something that I think it's really important to talk about at this juncture, even though it, it feels like there are other more important and more pressing matters facing Ukraine, which of course there are, we have to think about the future as well. And I think that it's, it's uh, uh, wonderful to be able to take this time and have you join us to do that. I know it's of great interest to people here. Um, to, to begin, you come at the question of Ukraine's constitutional future from an academic and a, and a civil society perspective. And I suppose that the, the first question to ask is, what is, is the crucial context for people to understand about Ukraine's recent constitutional history? I think all constitutional reform projects come out of uh, the history and the geography and the, the experience of a place. And so since Ukraine voted for independence from the USSR in 1991. What has Ukraine's constitutional history been to bring us to the state where we are now? Okay. Uh, first of all, let me say thank you to all Irish community because I know that Ireland accepts 70,000 of Ukrainians who were forced to leave their own homes and to look for a safer place in Europe and we are very grateful for all the support you provide for our women and kids who had to leave the country in these difficult circumstances. And also I am grateful for Trinity College Dublin for having this conversation. It is impo important for us to have opportunity to speak up about Ukrainian perspective and all challenges we have and all opportunities we would like to take. Um, and to, uh, to start conversation about Ukrainian constitutional future, I would like just to give um, some understanding of the context where we are now mm -hmm. and where we were like 30 years uh, ago. Uh, Ukraine is a state and Ukrainians are Ukrainians are a nation the, and uh, our neighbor Russian Federation uh, tries to condemn this uh, statement and that is like the key reason for the war uh, you may uh, have heard that Russian president Vladimir Putin deny our he denied our right to exist as a nation because he considered Ukrainians to be a part of Ruski Mir and he explained this war as Russians taking something that belonged to them. And, uh, and this is not true. And there are certain stereotypes regarding Ukrainian-Russian relations in, in, in the West and we have to deal with this. So, for many years, uh, Ukrainians were divided between different countries. Some Ukrainian territories were part of uh, Russian Empire and some were part of Austro-Hungarian Empire and then part of Poland, of Hungary and other countries. We did not, uh, so, and during 20th century, uh, our nation uh, had 
different kind of horrible experience. What what do I mean? Between if you uh, you can look at a book uh, published by Timothy Professor of Yale University, Timothy Snyder, which name is Bloody Land, and he calculated that between First World War and Second, Second World War, 25% uh, of Ukrainian populations were killed because of all kinds of war atrocity and communist atrocity. During 1939-1933, uh, there are different calculations, but uh, according to some of them, from seven to ten millions of Ukrainian people died because of uh, great fam famine, which we called Holodomor. And I know that Irish uh, society had relatively safe, uh, same experience almost 200 years ago, and that experience had a great impact on uh, Ireland as a country, uh, Irish as a nation. But there is one uh, key uh, uh, points of differentiation between those two experiences. Our famine was deliberate one. It, there were no natural reasons for such disaster. It was well organized, well planned by communist party. So all those people could survive, but they were denied their right to exist. And uh, so Ukraine has this uh, trauma of genocide. And then millions of Ukrainian people died during Second World War. And because um, Ukrainian territory was occupied by Nazis and Ukrainian population faced all atrocities which were, uh, which, was, which were attributed to the Second World War. And also, Ukrainians were part, a great part, of Soviet army. That's why Ukraine law, uh, lost a lot of people during Second World War. Then, like next part of the 20th century, uh, was a little bit better, but still, uh, many people suffered from all kinds of repression uh, because of their political views and sometimes because of their uh, identities. And just give you a few examples, one of the famous Ukrainian po modern poets, Vasil Stus, he died in a, a labor camp in Siberia in 1986. So uh, that is all experience we uh, went through during, as a nation during 20th century. And uh, unfortunately, I have, I have to admit that uh, all these uh, challenges, atrocities, uh, have some impact on Ukrainian as a nation and also on our ability, uh, on our perception of the state. Mm. Because of this experience, Ukrainians quite often consider a state and state-related structures as something 
too dangerous to cooperate with and you it's understandable because of all this uh, therefore on the one hand uh, ukrainians voted for independence state uh, for state independence in 1991 but on the other like some active part of Ukrainian society tried to keep some distance between state, like we will build civil society, so they preferred to build civil society, uh, to build some businesses, etc., et but like to keep some, some distances with, with the state, uh, state structures. And uh, so nowadays, regarding the const our constitutional uh, experience. So, first Ukrainian constitution was adopted in 1996. By its essence, it was rather post-Soviet document. For example, just let me give you a few examples. Uh, one of our uh, professors, Savolod Ryczycki, pointed out that we have special clause in the constitution where you can find a list of key social values and uh, this is exclusive list of key social values and you can find there life health safety dignity and honor liberty is not there freedom is not there which was uh, typical for post-soviet do documents but if we try to look at Ukraine at present, uh, if some, so for someone who at least tried to trace uh, what is going on in Ukraine, in Ukraine, it is understandable that the, there are two, at least two values Ukrainians are fighting for. It's, it's a dignity and freedom. But freedom is not in, a, in our constitution. <coughs> So we have to do something about this. And uh, so after 1996, for a several times, we tried to amend Ukrainian constitutions. So Ukraine firstly was a presidential republic. Then it became a uh, Parliamentary Republic, then presidential again, then Republic <laughs> Parliament Parliamentary again. Uh, so I think that because of uh, lack of previous experience to build uh, uh, a state and uh, build a state institutions, uh, maybe we need uh, like more times to to decide what type of government, mm. what type of government structure we, we prefer. And uh, so, where we are now, now 20% of our territory is occupied by uh, a Russian Federation. And now it became obvious to active part of Ukrainian society, or maybe even almost for all Ukrainian society, that uh, we need not only to win the war, but we need also to win our future. And in order to have future, we have to start thinking over our new constitutional uh, social contract and new legal framework for this social contract. 
Normally, key values for the society are embedded in the Constitution. That's why we are starting this discussion within society about new constitutions. And what are the key tasks for us as academics and representative of civil society at this stage? I think that there are two of them. First of all, we have to, like as a lawyers, we have to elaborate uh, appropriate legal framework for this new social consensus, which is emerging in Ukraine. And um, the second way we have to explain uh, for the society that constitution matters. What, what do I mean? Because of all these traumatic events that happened to Ukraine during last centuries, uh, there is a perception of the... So, uh, because of all this, our uh, historic experience, uh, it seems like uh, society is here and state is there, and they are not connected in a, in a proper way. Uh, because for many, many years, state uh, has been a source of danger for Ukrainian society. Mm -hmm. And now we have to overcome this trauma and to learn not uh, to protect ourselves from, from the state, but to build our own st uh, state and to uh, establish good rules. And that's why I think that we have to consider the opportunity to adopt a new constitution. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to acknowledge the fact that there is a significant prog progress in this dimension. So, uh, if you compare Ukraine now to Ukraine 10 years ago, you can notice a significant progress in many domains. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, we are learning how to build sustainable institutions, mm. but we need some time and also we need some kind of support from our international partners. And I think that EU accession program could be a powerful impulse to build uh, institutions within, within Ukraine. And those rule of law requirements uh, that are the part of the deal mm -hmm. might, uh, our, could serve a good service to building Ukrainian institutions. There's so much there that we should, we should delve into further uh, really fascinating points to start with, and I will return to the EU accession point, which I think is so important. I think you've touched upon something that's really interesting for people to understand, which is why maybe a new constitution is needed rather than changes uh, as has happened in the past. And it seems to, from what you were saying, go to values and to culture, that the, the values that you might need to build a, a new Ukraine may not be present or seem to be present in the constitution as it is. And what is needed is to capture something about this moment where there is so much social solidarity and so much of a vision of Ukraine's future in spite of all the, the exceptional difficulties the war has presented, that it might be appropriate to try and channel 
this moment and those values after the war has ended into a new document where hopefully there is a different culture of government, a different vision of the state and a different set of values. That's why it has to be a new document perhaps and not a reform of the current one. Yes, you, uh, you are right, but uh, I think that it's one of the questions uh, that should be discussed within uh, Ukrainian society. For me, as a lawyer, it seems that uh, in order to restart country and to open a new page of our history, uh, it would be useful to start with a new document because current constitution has been already amended for several times in different di uh, directions. And uh, it's that why uh, it's difficult to, uh, to keep, to maintain uh, coherence of the mm -hmm. idea, uh, ideas and principles and uh, uh, etc. But I think that like, key points when why we uh, uh, why we started the project and I am very grateful that you are participating in is just to go to public uh, and to active part of the society and to explain that uh, constitution matters and that we we need to have this discussion and we need to make an agreement uh, about like set of basic rules we want to build our country on and it's i aware of the fact that it might take a years uh, i don't know one three five it depends but uh, i think it's important to have the to have this conversation and uh, in order to have really good working constitution working document we have to go through these uh, mm -hmm. uh, stage, uh, stages and uh, better to have a new document than try to amend a previous one. Uh, let me give you one more example. Um, that was, that are not my calculation, but one of my colleague, Hanani uh, Druzenko, he calculated that uh, speaking about catalog of human rights, which are provided by constitution, Chapter two of our constitution is the biggest in comparison to any other European constitution. So, in nineties, our state uh, declared like that intention to provide as much as possible for for uh, Ukrainian citizens, but many of that rights are positive rights by nature. It means that this is not a freedom of individual from the state interference. That, uh, that are, those are opportunities provided by the state. And in many situations, because of, for example, economic circumstances, state is not able to guarantee those rights in reality on the one hand, and on the other hand, we have like classical uh, catalog of negative rights as well. But in our constitution, you can find m a lot of limitations of those negative, negative rights. And for me as a lawyer, 
such uh, situations means that by its essence, uh, in this part, constitution uh, is constitution treats citizen in very pat paternalistic way. Mm. And especially this war experience proved that Ukrainian society is able to take care about many aspects of the life uh, itself. Mm. And because uh, you, maybe you know, maybe you have opportunity to hear that there are many of volunteers initiatives in, uh, uh, in Ukraine, which provide uh, different kind of services. For example, even uh, some equipment for the Ukrainian army is provided by uh, such ki different kind of volunteers initiatives. So they are buying stuff for army and uh, you know that we also have few organizations which uh, are not funded by the state, but which provide uh, emergency medical care for the soldiers on the front line. And they are very effective. They did not get any kind of financial support from, from the state, but they are still able to be very efficient mm -hmm. in this domain. And uh, all this, uh, there are many more examples of, of, uh, of such practices. And for me, as a lawyer, such example, uh, examples, is, uh, examples show that uh, maybe, but we have to discuss this with uh, society, uh, a good model for Ukraine is to have minimal state and to give citizens and opportunity to solve those problems they can solve themselves and to guarantee that state will interference only when such kind of interference is absolutely needed. Also, it is important, important uh, to have constitution as a working document. In case you put something there, then uh, a state has to provide this. And uh, all, so no place in constitution for any kind of declaration, mm -hmm. which are not unrealistic. Uh, and that's why I think that we have to revise our constitutional legal framework substantially. Not to put like uh, additional chapter or additional article or just some more clauses, but to revise from the, from the very basic in order to build co coherent system of a, of a norm. And one, also <laughs> one more example, our Euro European Union aspirations also uh, are in the Constitution. Yes. And uh, also our intent to become a NATO member, you can find this in a, in a Constitution. Uh, all these intentions are very important for Ukraine as a state, uh, for Ukrainians as a nation, and uh, especially in current situation. But I'm not sure whether the Constitution is a good document to put all this clauses in. And uh, so, speaking about the project we started as uh, academics, 
uh, we did not, we, we do not offer final solutions, but what we intend, uh, what we intend to do is to start a public discussion and to be honest about those difficult questions we have to answer. For example, uh, I mentioned that we have 20% of our territory occupied. Some territories uh, have been under occupation for a year, but some territories have been under occupation for a nine year. Mm -hmm. And uh, all in Ukraine, we believe that one day we will win in this war with the support of our partners and uh, from all over the world, from uh, Europe and US, etc. Et but at that day, when we, uh, for that victory days, we need to have uh, a ready strategy for re uh, reintegration of our occupied territory. And we have to start work on this strategy right now. Can we uh, find an answer in our current constitutions? No. Uh, because no one in Ukraine could have imagined that such type of war was possible. I can uh, uh, like share my personal experience. Semester before the war, I spent in US at Notre Dame University having my fellowship there. And December uh, 2021, all my colleagues from the US University uh, <laughs> said to me, are you crazy? What are you doing? Do you, re do you really want to go back? And uh, do you know what is happening uh, on your borders? And sincerely, I was convinced that war in 21st century is so stupid idea that it is not possible. So I took my two kids and a husband and came back to, to, to Ukraine because I was sure even in December of 2021 that war is not possible. I was wrong. And uh, when, uh, at the, uh, on this day, uh, on February uh, 20, 22nd, it, it took me several hours just to understand what is what is happening and um, and so <laughs> speaking about constitution our constitution has no solution and our constitution does not contain solution for all the challenges we have now because we were not ready for this war we did not expect this war. Maybe someone, I don't know, in president's uh, office or uh, in ministry of defense, uh, maybe somewhere they, do, uh, they did expect it, this invasion. But uh, ordinary people, uh, academia, uh, civil society, we did not. That's why uh, it's also one of the reasons that we have to start thinking about new document where we can find like a principles uh, which will help us to to find an answers for new challenges. Mm -hmm. One of it could will be uh, reintegration of the occupied territory.
Yeah, in constitutional law discourse, we often call moments like this constitutional moments where maybe your whole society has to rethink various things about its future or certain paths become clear and obvious, which weren't before, and certain values crystallize. And that's the moment to really rethink some constitutional fundamentals. Um, and you know, one of those, as you mentioned, is uh, EU integration, which, as you said, was certainly thought about and, and, and the people in Ukraine had committed to in advance of the war, but has very much accelerated as a result of the conflict. And now, obviously, Ukraine has candidate status and has a roadmap into uh, the European Union. But obviously, Ukraine's legal system is um, you know, very different from many European states, and some of the expectations of EU membership will require some work and some legal changes to bring everything into line for that to be possible. What do you think might be the largest challenges for Ukraine to face in the coming years to make sure that it can become a fully-fledged member of the European Union in the near future? Uh, there are a lot of them. There, there are a lot of them. And um, I think that uh, key reform for Ukraine is a judicial reform. Because to meet a uh, rule of law requirement, first of all, we, ha we need to have an effective and independent uh, judicial system. Uh, Ukrainian, uh, so we started judicial reforms after revolution of dignity in uh, 2014. Uh, of course, uh, there are some achievements, but some problems are still there. Uh, and um, Ukrainian society, uh, as, as a society, so tries its it best to solve the problem. But you can't build an uh, independent judicial system within one day, or within a month, or within a year. You need some time uh, for, for, uh, to do these tasks. And uh, what is essential here, uh, I think that uh, uh, essential component of this process would be not to compromise a rule of law requirement because of war. War could become a universal explanation or universal excuse for everything. Yes, we have war in our country. Yes, every day uh, people are killed because of the war. Uh, many of them sacrifice their life and this is a huge uh, and tremendous part of our life. But at the same time, we have the, the part of Ukraine which is not occupied should work very hard to build institutions and to build especially special focus should be for judicial, judicial reform. And uh, so I think that uh, it could be done with an some period of time and uh, I think that uh, accession experience of other EU maybe, uh, members might be uh, helpful for Ukraine and uh, also um, some 
expert support from uh, EU institution and uh, from other EU members also can contribute to this uh, co uh, co uh, to this process. I do not expect that someone else will do our job. It's it's our job and it's our assignments. We have to do it, it ourselves. But uh, still, uh, I think that uh, other experience could be could be uh, uh, helpful helpful for us for us as well. And I think that good. So many different processes should be should be maintained simultaneously. Like uh, we have to <laughs> prepare our counteroffensive, and we have to uh, do our uh, like we have uh, to proceed with a judicial reform. Mm -hmm. But also, I as an academic, as I think that it is very essential to rebuild our educational system and uh, the all kinds of legal reforms will be successful after successful reform of legal education yes. and this is like the part i'm doing as a, a administrator at a law school we try to implement like the best western standard of legal educations to prepare lawyers for a new Ukraine yes. with a deeper understanding of what is rule of law and its implication uh, and uh, how to apply uh, e European standards of human rights and uh, on, the, on the national level and many many other stuff we are doing uh, with, uh, with our law students just to prepare them to be able to continue with uh, mm. all the reforms we need to build a successful state. And it, it feels like in so many of these things what we are trying to do is with young lawyers and with uh, new judges and with all sorts of things is build a, a constitutional culture that will help Ukraine flourish in this next period and I think that um, the EU will be very much part of that and I very much agree that the experience of uh, other EU accession states is, is very important. We were discussing yesterday with a, a colleague in the law school that people forget how much the Irish legal system struggled to come to terms with being a member of the EU because it was very different from our legal tradition and 50 years on that's such a success we forget the work that was done to make that real. And so just as a, a final question for me before we, we ask if there's any questions from the audience. I think to, to make this process successful, both in a, a new constitution, but, but in particular EU membership, you know, Ukraine needs time, as you've said. It needs uh, trust that it can um, uh, build these processes well, but it also needs support and assistance. And from your point of view, what do you think is most useful, either from a, a European level or in terms of those of us within Europe who would want to uh, sort of assist in this process, are there things we can do to support Ukraine in this effort to try and lend uh, expertise or advice or support or money to these processes? Is there something you think that we can be doing practically to assist Ukraine in this? Uh, as an educational institution, the best thing that could be done is a uh, to share your uh, experience 
with uh, Ukrainian academics and with Ukrainian students. And you are already doing this because you're participating in our projects and also uh, our students will be able in next terms to come to, come to Trinity College and to have their uh, semester here, which is really a great uh, help and uh, it, it is very appreciated in Ukraine because I think that... Uh, Really, to have a future, we have to invest in young generations and give them deep, like deep understanding of. Um, no, no. Let me put this way. Uh, Ukrainians has pr have proved that uh, we belong to European civilization and that we share the same values. Uh, on which Euro Europe and European uh, Union is built on. But maybe because of our Soviet past and our, and our, it is, uh, and because of our all difficult relations with Russia Federation, uh, it's, uh, we need some help to conceptualize all these values mm -hmm. and to build a bridge between this really practical and meaningful values that you can trace in our everyday life and to build the bridge between legal documents and those values we share. And I think that um, European partners could uh, help us with expertise and uh, also European uh, partners can uh, help us uh, was uh, not to compromise in rule of law requirement because of war. And uh, what is also for us important, uh, quite often uh, I can hear uh, that, for example, whether we see Poland as a representative of Ukraine within EU Union, we are very grateful to Poland. We, we feel great support from this state. Poland accepted a huge number of Ukrainian refugees and uh, Poland has helped us Ill a lot, especially during the first period of the mm -hmm. war. And this country continued to help us and we appreciate all this kind of support. But if we speak, uh, if we uh, talk about uh, accession to EU, Ukraine needs to uh, become not an object of this partnership. Ukraine needs to be uh, perceived as a as a partner, as a subject of the process, and this is very essential moment. That's why um, we do not need that someone will would would come to Ukraine and like run a country <laughs> and adopt the laws. But we maybe need some support to build sustainable institutions within a countries, uh, to learn from uh, experience of other countries, mm -hmm. to learn from experience of EU, to have a clear and honest requirements that we have to follow and uh, all other which, uh, 
we can have around this. Terrific. So we have just a few minutes for uh, any questions that people might have. Uh, please be free to raise your hand and uh, if you could identify yourself as well so we know who's <laughs> speaking to us. Anyone like to ask anything? And I know other people will have questions as well, but um, I wanted to ask, and this is from uh, sitting here as a non-lawyer, um, the question that immediately came to me for both of you really is, if you could say something about the tension between nation and national identity and the state, in terms of where you think the Constitution has authority, because obviously from a lawyer's point of view you're talking about very much the state context, but in both Ireland in the past and Ukraine in the present, there's a huge pressure of the national definition of identity, presumably playing around how the Constitution operates or might op operate in a reformed form. So it was really just to ask how you see the Constitution working between nation and state, if that makes any sense. And, and it's for Ireland as well, yep. David. Uh, it's it's a good question. Uh, I think that uh, like uh, the best situation when uh, there is no such a strong division when nation built a state uh, by constitutional means. This is like ideal situation. Uh, and um, so for, uh, for contemporary Ukraine, I think it is important like, uh, to accept that uh, we have, so that uh, we are responsible for the state. As a nation, we are responsible for the state. So, there are no separate entities, nation and the state, and something in between. That uh, all those actors are consistent, and that uh, key task of the state is to, ser to serve the nation, every people, every people uh, uh, in, uh, in the country. And also, as I mentioned, that maybe Ukrainians need a like minimal state with a very limited interference and uh, governed by the by the rule of law but i think that this is like one of the questions we have to discuss and to find an answer mm -hmm. i might just br briefly say something about the other situation before coming to our next question because we have a uh, yeah, unique um, uh, approach to the nation and the state here uh, obviously at one point we claimed that the state encompassed the whole island, but for the time being, we didn't control one part of it. And after the Good Friday Agreement, we removed that territorial claim as a crucial part of that compromise. And now we still have the nation and the state as separate ideas in our constitution, but it reads much more as the nation being a holistic idea of Irish people everywhere and people who feel they belong, not necessarily mapping onto the political entity that, that is the state. But that still raises questions for us, including 
who gets to vote. And one thing that we really uh, uh, are only starting to grapple with now is that our citizens abroad have one of the most restrictive voting rights of anywhere in Europe, very unusually restrictive in terms of how long citizens can vote after they leave Ireland and so on. And that's something we may vote on in terms of presidential elections in the coming years. So our nation and state um, differences in our constitution began perhaps with the Northern Ireland context in mind, but now continue very much in this, in this new uh, uh, situation we find ourselves in. Uh, there was a question here. Yes, I'm just wondering what you feel about uh, what uh, Putin has said you know, about the Russians in terms of Eastern Donbass also Crimea, that these are Russian-speaking people, they're being liberated from Ukraine. We don't believe that at all at all. And I think the, the surveys show that much less now because of the war itself. Is there any way a new constitution could take into account Crimea, I'm thinking in particular, which was given by Khrushchev in 1953, that could be seen maybe, you could argue maybe it's slightly separate from mainstream. Could that be part, or could it be a federation? Could there be... Uh, or is it a whole territory is complete, as Zelensky would say, there's no debate, Donbass and Crimea have to be fully part of Ukraine and a new constitution. So, uh, thank you for these questions. Um, yeah, uh, right now, uh, in Ukraine, uh, we, like, we do not have debate regarding federalization of the state. Ukraine see itself as a unitary state and because uh, like one of the reason is that russia federation tried to use uh, this argument as an excuse for a full-scale aggression therefore ukraine uh, at that moment does not consider this type of questions and regarding donbass in crimea according to our current constitution they are part of ukraine and uh, as you know, uh, according to our president uh, position, and by the way, this position under recent polls is supported by 80% of Ukrainian population, uh, that to win the war will mean for 80% of Ukrainian population to have <coughs> all our territories back, including Crimea and uh, Donbass. And whether, so, re, in, so really Russian language is very popular in, in Ukraine and I'm not ready like, to give you exact numbers, but I'm quite sure that a lot of people in trenches speak Russian who are today fighting against Russia Federation. So in Ukraine, unfortunately, language became uh, like uh, an object of d all kinds of speculations and uh, but uh, many Ukrainian people speaks Russian even now and uh, many after the war many of them made a decision to switch into Ukrainian and I think that language issue is not decisive in this in this conflict for, for no for no reason and it is just uh, one of the argument which was used to speak to speculate so ukrainian society 
should not be divided by, by, by this language criteria. Uh, everyone understands uh, Russian in Ukraine and everyone can speak Russian. But nowadays, uh, like for many people, Russian is uh, uh, Russian uh, language uh, is uh, not. On the one hand, for some people, Russian language is one of the attribute of the aggressor's army. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that I have uh, said that many of our soldiers they speak Russian and they fight against Russian. I think that uh, language issue, it's not a key issue in this, in this war. And all territories, all territories uh, should be liberated from, from the occupation because they, all of them are part of Ukraine. And if we want to rebuild an international law and some kind of international legal order, uh, we need to re-establish Ukraine territorial integrity. Otherwise, uh, someone else uh, can, de can, <laughs> can decide that it is possible to take some territory from your neighbor just because you want it to do. And uh, in order to make uh, never again real again, we have to re-establish Ukrainian territorial integrity for the sake of Ukraine, for the sake of Europe, and I dare to say for the sake of Russia as well, because uh, uh, Russia will be, so Russia will not disappear. Russia as a state will be there in the future. And in order not to pose danger for Ukraine and other na uh, neighbors, Russia should be obliged to follow the rules. And one of the rule, of the key rule is to respect territorial integrity of your neighbors. And uh, I think that we, uh, as, so from the Ukrainian perspective, it is obvious that territorial integrity of our country should be restored. We have time for maybe one more quick question from Ursula. Yeah. Thanks, David, and uh, thank you so much, Patlana, for sharing your, your experience and your fantastic insights. My name is Ursula Quill. I'm a doctoral candidate at the School of Law looking at the Citizens' Assembly here in Ireland. And I was really interested in what you were saying about, uh, I suppose, how the, the people in the state, there seems to be a gulf there between them uh, in Ukraine and that the two tasks from the lawyers having a new legal framework and then secondly that the people need to understand why the constitution matters and i suppose i, I was curious looking at, at ukraine's future if you've looked uh, at uh, examples of i know we've had very mixed results of the constitution of the convention in, in chile and other international examples as well of of, of creating kind of deliberative and participative forums to really reinvent a constitution. Is that something that you think might work in Ukraine? Uh, it may be, maybe not. And uh, I try to be honest, because I do not have uh, solutions for many issues. Like, key idea behind the project is that 
at this state, we need to have a list of questions uh, which we have to find answers uh, for. And yes, it might be helpful uh, for, uh, for us, uh, but we shall see. Yeah, it's something we've, we've definitely been sort of talking about and it, it, might, it might be something that would work in a very informal, local way rather than as we have done it in a large, formal, centralised way. So there's lots of potential options. And it just remains for me to uh, thank a few people, to thank the Longroom Hub and even Aoife in particular for their terrific organisation. I'd like to thank the School of Law and the Trinity Centre for Constitutional Governance for supporting the plan of visit. I'd like to thank you all for coming. It's so great to have you here. And most of all, thanks to Blana for taking the time to share her insights. So thank you all. Thank you.